In a world where it seems totally normal to listen to a podcast about the Toronto Argonauts, it's the X's and Argos Podcast. Welcome to the X's and Argos post-game reaction podcast brought to you by Funny Bone Broth as the Toronto Argonauts drop a 34-27 decision to the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Ben Grant, along with JB, as always, we will break it down for you, go through what happened, and maybe provide a little bit of therapy after a pretty rough loss on a Friday night. So, JB, let's let's get right into this. There was bad luck from the get-go. And I don't want to make injury excuses because Hamilton, you know, they had enough injury problems on their own. They they came in without their starting quarterback, Matt Schild's starting, and then he gets injured. And suddenly they're, they're left with, with Jamie Newman uh, playing quarterback. But the Argos injury situation was an absolute mess. So not only do they come into this game without you know, two of their best receivers in, in Eric Rogers, Joan Breskison with three starting linemen in the Castro, Tate and Cage, uh, losing Shaq Richardson and Jake Reinhardt last game, Robertson Daniels still out. Like they've got all these guys down. And then in pregame warmup, which was such a bad sign from the beginning, Cam Phillips goes down with an injury in pregame warmup. So one of those guys that has really shone in the last few weeks and a guy that really has allowed them to progress, even though they were missing guys like Eric Rogers and, and Joan Breskison, suddenly he's out and Tommy Neal is filling in. And uh, and that was just like just right from the beginning was was an issue. But then Tommy Neal also goes down during the game. Andrew Harris goes down after he looked like he was running really well. Declan Cross goes down. Shaq Richardson, who was replaced by Robert Priester, uh, Priester goes down and then Carnell comes in to replace Priester and he goes down. It was just, it was an absolute gong show with injuries and the Argos just could not, but they just had no semblance of identity today. They they could not put anything together. I don't like to blame injuries, but this was just ridiculous at this point. Yeah, I agree. I hate to give a team uh a pass, but what are you going to do? I mean, you can't be expected to win when you're running third and fourth uh, line guys out there. You know, they had way too many starters hurt and still almost won. And really, it wasn't until the fourth quarter that things kind of went pear-shaped. Yeah, they just ran out of gas at that stage. Like they were trying to piece things together. And I, I give McLeod Bethel Thompson a lot of credit. Uh, the O-line actually, I thought, played pretty well also considering what was going on. There just wasn't anyone open. Like receivers weren't able to to create separation. And that was one of the, one of the issues you have. Like when you get that thin, uh, like at the point where they lost you know, Tommy Neal. So suddenly now you're having to run like two back sets. So you've got... You've got uh, Declan Cross and, and A.J. Ouellette out there because Harris is gone and Neal is gone and Phillips is gone and, you know, everything else. Uh, and that now allows them to pay extra attention to Devaris Daniels, to Curly Gittins Jr. And there's nobody open downfield. Not only that, you're running formations that you just don't have a ton of plays for. Uh, and then and then when when Cross gets hurt, now you're now it's out of Boboye and and well that like guys that have never been on the field together at all in practice, and you're running out of your limited two back set playbook, um, and just the, the whole night it seemed like Bethel Thompson staring downfield at 
guys that are just absolutely blanketed and he's trying to make plays. It was, well, it, was a, it was a pretty hard game to watch. And the same thing happening on the defensive side of the ball. I was like the, the boundary halfback position seems to have been cursed since, since Shaq went down with an injury to go through three different players at that position. It was just, it was just so bizarre. So like Priester's able to start the game there, uh, you know, filling in already. And, and he's, we've, we felt okay about that. It's, it's a drop off from Shaq, but, but Priester's looked really good, but then he gets hurt and Maurice Carnell has only been here for a week and suddenly he's in the game and then, and then he goes down. So they had to move everyone all over the place. They ended up moving Mechie over to, to halfback, which he hasn't really played. And, and Haggerty has to come in to play safety. Uh, ugh. and, it just seemed like from the get-go, the opening play of the game, the opening kickoff, Toronto lines up for the opening kickoff, and it starts with a delay of game penalty. And I don't know the last time, I, I don't think I've ever seen a game begin with a delay of game penalty. And Toronto was waiting. They didn't think he had been blown in. So they're just standing there waiting, staring at the referee, waiting for it to be blown in, not noticing that the play clock's at zero. And they start with a, a five-yard penalty. So it just <laughs> seemed like everything from the beginning of the game was destined to fail. It's one of those days, you know, you, you have, sometimes you, there are days like this. Sometimes there are football games like this. Nothing went right for the Argos. Hopefully they're able to patch things together enough to, to rebound against Calgary this coming week, but they, they might be pretty thin. Yeah. That's, that's my bigger concern. I, I don't mind splitting against Hamilton. You know, that, uh, that's okay. I think that's probably pretty, pretty predictable. Uh, but the injuries moving forward um, are concerning. You know, Shaq is a huge part of that defense. Harris, obviously, even though he doesn't have the statistics, is a huge part of that offense. Um, Rogers is already down. Uh, you know, it it it's a tough league to win with your twos and threes. So yeah, I mean that that's probably my biggest takeaway from the game is. Uh, that's not going to be, I mean, that cow, you know, schedule gets tough here and that Calgary game was going to be tough at full power. Um, yeah, that, that's going to be, that's going to be a big challenge for the team to, to, to try and, uh, adjust to that. Cause if Harris can't go, oh man, that's a huge, that's a huge issue. Cause that the wide receiver core as it is right now, I, I don't think can work if there's no threat of run. No, they've got to do something else there. You you can't, and you saw the difference when, when Harris went down, the way that Hamilton was now able to play, like it, they allowed Ouellette to run um, somewhat, but they were okay with that. They were going to let Ouellette get his yards. He ended up with, with 47 yards on 10 carries, but Hamilton was, was going to live with that in order to take away the pass and that was that was their adjustment they would not have done that with Harris they were not playing well at the same way they were playing Harris and so they stopped loading the box up like they had been I, and uh this let's we'll start going through some of the the game here and go through chronologically through the first quarter uh, right from the get-go there were right from the get-go there were issues with defending the run I I know you know, Matt Schiltz was able to, he didn't get a lot of rushing yards. He only had four carries for 15 yards. Jamie Newman, on the other hand, when he came in, ran all over the place, including a 30-yard run on a quarterback sneak, which you don't see every day. But they just generally had trouble with the quarterback's mobility. And with Schiltz, uh, guys were taking bad angles. Even Mwamba, who so rarely takes bad angles. Now, he was still able to make a play 
uh, when he chased Schiltz out of the pocket. But but yeah, he was. It, it just seemed like everyone was not quite ready for Schiltz's speed as he as he rolled out. Schiltz was attacking the sideline to start, and the defense was hanging in. They let up a field goal in that first quarter, but it, it just looked like they 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 weren't quite ready for what they were going to see in Schiltz, and then they were even less ready for what they saw in in Newman. And then we also got a glimpse of what would turn out to be a huge problem in this game. Uh, the the Argos end up uh, on their first drive, uh, you know, having to punt the ball. And it was a return that Woods really could have taken for a touchdown, if not for the athleticism of John Haggerty, the punter, uh, who unfortunately tackled Woods by the face mask and got the flag for it, but he saved the touchdown. That was around the outside. There were broken tackles all day on special teams. And you look at the, the return yardage for for Woods was bananas. You had six returns for 153 yards. This is punt returns we're talking about. Averaging 25.5 yards per punt return on six punt returns. You you never see that. And that was a massive hole on a, on a day where they needed, they desperately needed solid special teams play because so many injuries had taken place on offense and defense. The, the coverage team was... Uh, absolute nightmare today and you can't afford to have that when nothing else is going no i don't know what happened um coverage has been a pretty consistent strength all season and you know you know i haven't there aren't a lot of elite returners in the league right now but still it it definitely has not been an issue and they just could not adapt to his speed um and like you say, uh, today is a game where you need your special teams to to keep you in that uh, field position fight because it's going to be you know a, a hard slog for your offense. Uh, that was disappointing. I I I had really seen that as a strength of the team, and they just I don't know whether Hamilton schemed them up. I mean, I assume, you know, playing back-to-back that they they saw uh, a blocking tendency and were able to exploit it. To me, it looked more like uh, collapses on individual plays. Like, the, one of the nice things about the Hamilton press box is it's way up in the sky. You're, you're on, like, the 10th story and looking right down onto the field. So from that vantage point... I'm able to see coverage really well, and I'm able to see uh, special teams extremely well. And it looked like, for the most part, the Gunners were in position. But then Woods was able to, it, 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 like, he broke tackles, but it was it was more about positioning being just a little bit off, where guys were coming in, and yes, they should still have made the tackle, but they weren't in a position to make it cleanly. They were in a position to make arm tackles, and he's just he's just too good a returner for that to be successful. And it was punt return after punt return where a guy would be there he'd shed a tackle shed another tackle and then there was nobody left and he's going down the sidelines you know once they went back for 87 yards but they that was the one that didn't count and they're lucky that that didn't count we would have been over 200 yards in, in punt returns uh, there was a there was a hold on that play uh, but that yeah that was a, a huge problem and so uh, the defense did step up early for Toronto, so they helped get Toronto on the board early and, and a few firsts for the Argonauts. So late in the first quarter, Robbie Smith intercepts a pass that he tipped. And this was one of those amazing feats of athleticism. 
JB, how hard is it for a defensive lineman to tip a pass and then look up in the air, catch it themselves and and put on a return because that's what Robbie Smith did. And to me, that just seems like one of the hardest things you can do in football. Yeah, I mean, often two defensive linemen's hands are all taped up. Uh, so that's that's always, you know, one of the reasons why sometimes they 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 look like butterfingers out there. Yeah, incredibly athletic uh, to have the, the, you know, the hand-eye coordination to get that done. I know linemen on both sides of the ball uh, take umbrage with the fact that people don't see them as skill positions. But uh, those guys are, you know, elite athletes. And, and some of those guys have uh, really, like, fantastic receiver hands. A lot of those guys <clears throat> play tight end in high school. Yeah, they're they're inc- like these are such elite athletes. Like you get you get some of those linemen out there, and you'll see them in practice. Every so often, guys will goof around in practice when there's you know there's some dead time, and you'll see you know like a offensive lineman uh, catching a pass or whatever else it is. Especially when they get to go in on scout teams, when different players get to go in on scout teams, they they love playing around with it. And guys that aren't technically skill players are still incredibly gifted athletes. And so yeah, Robbie Smith. Robbie Smith was, uh, yeah, just made a heck of a play to tip that ball to himself, pick it off. He runs it all the way down to the four, and it, I thought he was—I thought he was gone. Like when he got it, it was an amazing play by Matt Schiltz to catch up with him uh, and and tackle him at the four yard line. And I was there thinking, like, oh man, Toronto with their luck scoring touchdowns—they hadn't had a rushing touchdown all year. Like, uh, is this if this turns into a field goal, it's going to be a a a huge problem so they give the ball to Harris on first down he almost gets in but that's where he hurt his shoulder so here we are in the first quarter Harris has had three carries and and his his shoulder's gone and so not only is it stopped at the one yard line and now you've got second and goal from the one which we know has been a nightmare for Toronto all season and all last season but now Harris is out so they send in Chad Kelly, who seems to have taken over as the short yardage quarterback. And they line up in shotgun, though, as if fully expecting to say, OK, you're sending the back of quarterback. It's going to be a quarterback sneak from the one. But he's in shotgun. Gittins comes on a, a jet sweep. Kelly sort of rides him as if it were an option and then keeps it and follows Gittins himself. And he was actually stopped. He gets stood up at the one yard line. But Brandon Banks grabs Kelly as he's falling backwards and throws him forwards into the end zone. It was not at all the way that play was drawn up. But that touchdown was, I believe, Toronto's first first quarter touchdown of the season, but also their first rushing touchdown of the season. It's pretty ridiculous that we're in week 10 before the first place. Toronto Argonauts get a rushing touchdown or a first quarter touchdown. But that's that's where we are. And that, uh, yeah, yeah and- it was... Look, the video of that rushing touchdown is not going to the Hall of Fame. No, no, it's 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 comical. Uh, it's and it's just funny. Like Banks not being a big guy somehow makes it funnier too. Like he's just sort of standing there on on the outside. The play bounced way wider than he was expecting. He just happens to be in the right place, and he's a heck of an athlete. He sees he sees his player falling short of the goal line. He's like, nope, you fall this way, and throws him into the end zone, uh, and. Fortunately, uh, Kelly was able to hang out with the ball. But 7-3 at that point, uh, they would add a single a little bit later. I want to talk for a second about about the singles. Because, like, Hagerty, 
He had some beautiful coffin corner punts. That was one of the things that was working today. But unfortunately, that one single, it, it went, I think, what, 56 yards? He's trying to coffin corner it, but like his leg is so strong, you're not usually worried about the ball going to the end zone when you're snapping it on your side of midfield. Like that's not your normal pooch punt scenario. But Haggerty's got such a strong leg that he's sort of pooch punting and it still goes 56 yards into the end zone to give up a single. And field position was such a big thing in this game that that was crushing. But I want to kind of talk about, you know, from a special team standpoint, JB, is it an issue that maybe we saw a little bit in this game where Haggerty's just punting too far for the coverage to keep up? Uh, it, it had not been an issue prior to this. Um, that, that I mean, that can be an issue, um, you know, in, in general, but I, I don't think so. I mean, I think, you know, I think uh, you still are, it, it isn't like, um, I don't know, high school or college. I mean, these are pros. He might be kicking a little longer than they're expecting, but you're not talking about 15, 20-yard gaps. I think I think they still have to get down there. I, I think it's a question to ask for sure, but uh, I, I don't think so. I don't think at this point that that's enough to suggest punt coverage should not be able to uh, to get down the field because you know you want him bombing that ball and flipping the field. And he does seem to get more hang time on it than like when a normal punter has those sort of freak 55, 60 yard boots. They don't tend to have the same hang time. Like these have beautiful arcs on them. So I I agree with you. I, you know, you know more about special teams than I do, but I I haven't felt like he was out kicking the coverage to this point. Uh, So, you know, I don't, I don't know if that's, that's a thing, but it was unfortunate to have that one go into the end zone um, in that first quarter punt because that, they Hamilton really didn't move the ball that well today. And no, I mean, it, you look it, at the game, you know, uh, other than the fourth quarter going pear shaped, you know, uh, that, I thought it was a decent game from the Argos and barring half the team being injured, they come away with a win. So we get into the second quarter and uh, a little bit, a little bit of bad luck uh, on the Argos part, they they end up adding a field goal, and uh, and then Schultz bombs one that is picked off by Carnell at the end zone, and they end up ruling pi on Amos, which which it was, it was you know that was a good call, and this was a night where I did feel the officiating was all over the place. Uh, for I don't think it was one sided. I think I think both teams got hosed a, a number of times, but that was pi. Amos clearly interfered. Uh, with the Hamilton receiver. And it was just such a shame because to bail out a Hamilton offense like that with a 50-yard penalty when when the Hamilton offense was struggling moving on their own, you can't give them yardage on, on PI calls and on punt returns and all these other things. Like You can't give them ways to move the ball when their primary uh, fashion of moving the ball isn't working. No, that PI was terrible. I mean, that's just... You know, you, you had him double covered. That's just a tough call to to try and. It's one of the things that you know you work on a lot as a DB coach is you know remaining, remaining calm on those deep passes and and not getting into your receiver. Uh, that was yeah. I mean, it was that was a tough. I don't think it was 
Um, it wasn't the worst pass interference I've ever seen, but it definitely was. You know, it just was an unfortunate uh, breakdown in technique. Again, you know, from a, a guy that you're not necessarily expecting to be in that position. And I didn't think it, it was one of those things where it, I just, it didn't need to happen. And, and it's such a shame too, because Carnell making a play like that, like he was a Tiger Cat last year to make a, or was it 2019? And to make a play in front of the the Tiger Cats fans, you know, he was never, never able to get on the field as a, as a tie Cat. That would have been such a, a massive swing, but Hamilton ends up cashing that in for a touchdown. They take a 14, 11 lead. And at that point, I'm looking through my notes here and I just I wrote so many stars out because the the Toronto offense, this is where they just ceased to have an identity. And I just didn't know I didn't know what the plan was. I was looking at there and it's because so much of your playbook hinges on, at the very least, Andrew Harris. Like everything you've prepped for this week is okay, they're gonna need to budget this many guys to stop Andrew Harris. And if they don't, we're going to keep running Harris. And if they do, well, then this is what we've got. This is going to open up. We've got Cam Phillips here and we've got, you know, everyone else. But there were all sorts of issues. So what didn't help was not only you have all those guys out, it seemed like Brandon Banks and McLeod Bethel-Thompson were having a very tough time with each other today. There were a few times where after plays, Bethel-Thompson went over to Banks and was talking to him about, well, you know, this is what I saw in this play. I need you to cut out this way or I need you to hold up or you go you go deep on this play. Because, and, and it reflects in the stat sheet where you have eight targets for Banks and only two receptions. But I, I don't know what was going on with him. I don't know if it's just that he's been moved around to so many different positions at this point because he has played everywhere and he's a guy that is used to just playing in one spot. And just some of these option routes he has, he's clearly seeing the field differently than Bethel Thompson was. But on a day that you really could have used Brandon Banks stepping up, uh, he just wasn't on the right page. And man, it was frustrating to see that ball just sort of seemingly get thrown to nowhere uh, because McLeod's expecting a different break than, than Banks is providing. Yeah, I would have loved to have seen Banks be uh, more productive, especially with so many guys dropping. But it's not really who he is. I think that the they have pushed him to be more than than really what he he should be. And and uh, you know I think you're looking at his route tree, and there seems to be some issues there, right? And so from a from a planning point of view, maybe you got to have less options. Maybe you have to have more set routes because you just can't have two guys looking at the game differently. Uh, all the time. That's a really hard thing to to fix. And I know if that's what the offense is, but, you know, you, you got to adapt to what you have. I mean, it, it doesn't make any sense just to have breakdowns over and over again because then Macbeth is going to stop looking his way. And they're going to need Banks to, to be a threat um, moving forward because they, they don't really have anybody else who can – who can threaten them in a one-on-one fashion that you that you're worried about? So, yeah, they're going to need Banks definitely to uh, to become that deep threat, and in some ways, probably just that. So the Argos add a field goal, tie it up at fourteen, and running down uh, late in the second half with with all these stars out. Like I said, you got Tommy Neal suddenly makes a huge play on a corner route 
gets gets open Bethel Thompson with just a gorgeous ball right into his hands. And then Neil gets pushed out of bounds after this huge gain. And as he's slowing down, he hurts himself on the advertising. And this kind of thing just, uh, it, it drives me up the wall. Because there's a there are enough ways to get hurt in a football game without having things on the field hurt you as well. And whether it's the slippery tarps that have, you know, been... Uh, a real pet peeve of mine for for decades. You see guys run out of bounds all the time and then slip on the on the tarp that's covering the bench area or the signage that's over there. And it, it would be fine if the signs were foam pyramids like we've sometimes seen in the past, but now they're anchored with piping because this, the foam signs were, were blowing away and stuff. And now they're all digital things. So you've got these big digital boards with piping and it's just not that far out of bounds. And so that's what happened is Neil runs out of bounds and he steps on one of these pipes and looked like he twisted his ankle pretty badly. And so that's that's where he went down. That was just like it, it just added to all the things that were going wrong. Yeah, it was it was it was a cursed game. You see that sometimes it absolutely was a cursed game. And then we had the drive that was the drive of flags. Uh, it, it, I, I don't know if I've seen this many flags all at once. So first of all, uh, Banks is going down the sidelines. He's interfered with very clearly, but there's no flag on that. And it, it ends up getting picked off. Uh, no, no flag on the play. Banks is sitting on the ground like, how, how what? He, w- he was shoved with both hands before the ball got there on, onto his butt. And then the, the pass gets picked off. So, like, the play's still going on, and Dinwiddie's already thrown his challenge flag because he could see from where he was. Like, clearly, that's pass interference. And then, yeah, all hell breaks loose, and guys are pushing and shoving. There are three misconduct penalties on that play, two against Hamilton, one against Toronto. Dinwiddie's challenge flag is that everyone threw a flag except the official watching the pass interference, and Dinwiddie wins that challenge. It was pass interference. And so once everything got sorted out, which took a little bit, and really sort of added to the chippiness in this game. Suddenly, Toronto's down there in 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 range. And then it looked like they were going to have to settle for a field goal. Uh, which I think it was a 19-yard field goal. I think they were on the 12. And, uh, and then Hamilton gets called for pyramiding, which you don't see a lot, where they're basically using uh, other players' bodies to get height to try and block a, a 19-yard field. That's such a... Like, to pyramid on a 19-yard field goal is is just a terrible decision. And that gives Toronto another shot. And that's where Bethel Thompson is able to find Tavares Daniels on a really nice end zone route. I really like that concept. You basically had uh, Banks clearing out. And Tavares runs in his wake and then cuts to the inside. So hard to defend in, in man coverage. And so, beautiful touchdown. You're going into the half up 21-14. And despite all the injuries and all the bad luck, 21-14 at the half, if you'd known at that point, okay, we're up by a touchdown and Matt Schultz isn't going to play the third quarter, you'd feel like Toronto was just in the driver's seat there. But it, it just it wasn't to be. The third quarter starts, and I, I don't know quite what happened here. JB, I don't know if you saw or not, but I had no idea what went on. It looked like Matt Schultz came out as if he was going to start the third quarter. And then right before they were about to go in, Toronto has, I think it was a two and out for Toronto. Uh, They punt the ball away. And right before he's about to go in, suddenly he was getting looked at by the medical staff. And Jamie Newman comes in instead. 
And this is not the quarterback that Toronto has prepared for. And you, the nice thing about back-to-back games is that usually there's some familiarity here. But now this is the third quarterback that they've got to be ready for. How much time could they have possibly put in for Jamie Newman this yeah, week? Yeah, none. Um, you know, I mean, it is an advantage when you don't know exactly which quarterback you're preparing for. I mean, football is football to some extent, but... For sure, when suddenly there's now a fullback in a quarterback, you, you know you're not you're not set up necessarily to to defend what 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 is a wildcat offense. And again, Toronto was not helping things out because you you've got you've got the this who really is a running quarterback in there. And like Newman, they, they weren't even really trying to throw the ball. They had a couple, they had a couple of flats routes really quickly thrown. Those just looked so dangerous. So they basically just ran with him on every play. It was sort of like a wildcat offense. And I was just thinking to myself, like if that's how Hamilton has to s- sustain it for the rest of the game, there's no way they'll win this football game. And of course, Schultz did end up being able to come back in, but yeah, Hamilton could not move the ball just with Newman alone. Uh, and, it wasn't until yeah, Schultz was healthy where they had some success. But again, Toronto was bailing them out. They got a roughing the roughing the punter penalty uh, when uh, they were going to get decent field position. Now suddenly, Hamilton's in Toronto's end, and and that particular drive didn't turn into points, but it meant that Toronto was backed up inside their ten to start a drive, and it was just another example of the special teams not helping them out. And I get what I, I want to say. I think it was Mercer that got the penalty. I could be wrong on that. But I get what he saw. So two guys came through. They got past the upbacks. But at that stage of the game, when you've got a, the third string quarterback in for Hamilton, Hamilton's punting already from a you know, decent field position. You just can't risk going after the punt. I know it's so tempting because you get through and you see it there, but it's going to be really tight. I just think at that point, you've got to make a decision where like this is not the time to go for it. Because he just missed the pump block, ends up taking out the the punter's plant leg, and that's a fifteen yard penalty. It, it just like, like do you do you agree with going for the block, or are you with me in that you've just got to like let's let's hold off here, let's get our offense back on the field, and and try and score the traditional way. Uh, I mean, obviously they just had a great pump block, so you feel a bit of confidence. I think I think they probably earned one shot at it, having had the block touchdown. Like you know, the special teams coach probably cashed in his one cake. You want us to run that? And the coach is like, yeah, let's run the block. And now they will never run the block. Yeah, well, I I, yeah, I was pretty annoyed at the time with it. It just seemed it just seemed to me like again, you're giving a team that can't move the ball, you're giving them yardage, free yardage. If it's not returns and it's not in in the quarterback sneak runs, it was in penalties uh, and just weird penalties that, that were big, big yardage penalties. So it's, it's 24, 17 Argos going into the fourth and Schultz comes back in and this is where it just, everything falls apart. Like Schultz comes back in and he throws a bomb to Tim White that Amos is, is really blanketing white and somehow white catches it like on Amos's back and does a 360 and then walks into the end zone for a 60 yard touchdown. 
and uh, and that tied up the game at 24 and it just felt like like nothing was going the Argos way as you know that was a theme that continued throughout the night and and then we had some some strange decision making too like it was you know there's a third and one situation inside Toronto's end mind you but I think it was at like the Toronto 45 third and one coach Jim decides to punt it there uh, there was another one that he did go for, but that was like third and in inches that Chad Kelly ran around the outside. Uh, I don't know. That the inconsistency, I, I, to me, third and one, I know it hasn't been good, but I, I go for it on pretty much any third and one. I don't care where we are in the field. I just have to trust that you're going to get that yard. And I know Toronto's been rough with it, but with this new Chad Kelly package that seemingly is in now, if you're not going for it on third and one, to me means you don't have enough plays installed for that scenario, or you just, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is. I i hated punting it there on third and one, even though it was, Toronto was in their own end, because to me, it felt like that's where the momentum really swung. And, you know, punting it away there, I feel like is the, is the wrong move. Yeah, they have to have a better solution. If, if Macbeth can't do it or won't do it or what have you, which seems to be the case, I know there was a, a shouting incident between Macbeth and the coaches after a failed convert, and then uh, and then a punt. Um, look, it's it's a problem that the TV commentators pointed it out. It's a problem. He, he he does not run the short yardage well. So if he's not going to do it, then you have to come up with a solution. You know, like it still feels band aidy instead of why do we not at this point in the season have in a plan B short yardage. It's like, okay, we're going to move on. Uh, you know, this is not something in Macbeth's skill set. So we're going to move on. We're going to do this with Kelly. You know, what, I mean, what is Kelly doing? I mean, he should be, you know, they should be running that all the time at practice. There should be more than enough time for the backup quarterback to have a full short yardage package in it. it you know, I, honestly, it's unacceptable um, you know, here we are, whatever it is, week 10, week nine, uh, and and you don't have uh, a short yardage. And every other team in the league does. It's automatic. It, I, It's a huge issue. I don't know why they can't fix it. And the advantage Toronto should have is not only is Jack Kelly a good runner, but he can actually throw. So unlike a lot of other teams that have a pure runner in as their as their sneak quarterback like they don't like Dakota Prukoff for example in Winnipeg like he so rarely throws the ball he's almost always in there to run now he he can actually that's maybe not fair because Prukoff can't actually throw it but uh, a situation like that when you've got second ones you don't have to necessarily sneak it you can suddenly drop back and take a shot knowing that you can get it on third and one except the thing is the Argos don't know that and so and Chad Kelly doesn't, uh, the sneaks we saw, they weren't traditional quarterback sneaks. He's running around the outside. He's got two receivers pulling across to sort of lead block. And and that's that's where we're at, where Ambles is your lead blocker. Yeah. And Chad Kelly is your ball carrier around the outside. Like, no. I know those work. Like, both of them worked, kind of. That's not sustainable. I, no, I, that, that, that can't be the model. No. It, look, it, they're not, I mean, I, it's not complicated to run the sneak. I don't know what the issue is. I don't know why they don't seem to be able to get. You just simply have the quarterback's head on the lineman's butt and you go. I know the line 
doesn't necessarily get great push all the time, but you know when you're going and they're already a yard back. Like it's absolutely automatic for every other team in the league. And I don't know whether, you know, they, they, they were going to go with MBT to do it. And then they were like, well, maybe not. And then maybe so. And they never really fully committed to just saying, no, we're going to go Kelly. Kelly is going to be our short yardage guy because he's not really built like a short yardage guy. So I, I get why they kind of felt like, well, this doesn't really make any sense. Why are we bringing in Chad Kelly? Like, it's true. It makes no sense to take MBT out and bring Chad Kelly in in short yardage uh, in a vacuum. So I guess and I... Especially if it, if these are the play calls that we get out of it. Yeah, I mean, I because like really you're like, well, what what is Chad Kelly bringing other than you don't care if he gets hurt? You know, like it, I wonder if we're I wonder if we're at the point where you start looking at bringing in just a, a a load of a defensive player as a fullback. And I know we've seen this in short yardage scenarios and I'm not a huge fan of that package. But you bring in, you know, you bring in one of your defensive linemen basically to serve as a fullback. What I do like about that, though, is so you go under center for that package that could be and that can be a Chad Kelly package if you're going to get extra reps in practice running something like that you have a backup defensive lineman or a rotational defensive lineman in at at fullback you've got well ideally harris is your tailback but it would have been well yesterday and what that what that does for you is it gives you more sneak options so instead of lining it up where nobody's left in the backfield where everyone goes out wide like you see in toronto's quarterback sneaks you leave these two guys in the backfield and yes that does still jam with the middle but what that does for you on sneaks is you have a sneak going to the left, for example, but now this massive 260-pound fullback or whoever you have out there runs like leads to the right, and now that prevents the backers from diving in over top where the quarterback's going. They can't read the quarterback anymore and dive over the line at that spot. They've got to respect that run. And again, I find that gimmicky. I'm not a huge fan of it, but it, at least it provides you with more options than than what we're seeing. I'm... I'm sure the coaches are frustrated because I'm sure they look at MBT and he's a huge dude. And that's already half the battle on those short yardage. Like he, he's the guy he's built for that. He should be able to fall forward and get a yard every single time. And I'm sure it frustrates them to no end that it is not happening. Um, So I don't know, you know, I mean, if he's not going to commit to it, then you better start coaching up your plan B and you better start getting a full package in there for Kelly and then, you know, see how that goes. But I know they're not in love with Kelly at short yardage when neither am I, because it doesn't, it doesn't really make any sense that he's your short yardage guy. And I'm just not sure like Ben Holmes, the other quarterback on the roster, uh, he's also a good runner, but he's just he's not a big guy. And so I just don't feel like he's the answer. Like what I want for short yardage is Jamie Newman. This like to have, having a 250 pound quarterback who can come in like that and just push a pile. And we saw that so late in the fourth quarter where it's it's still a game it was tied at that point, actually 24, 24. And Newman runs a quarterback sneak for 30 yards. And it just felt like that was insult to injury where Toronto is having so much trouble with their quarterback sneaks. And then Newman just takes one 30 yards downfield. They score a touchdown on that drive to go up by seven and Toronto just can't do anything. They've got to punt it away deep in their own end. 
Hamilton adds a late field goal to really put this away. But I want to talk about uh, that last drive at the end because I know a lot of fans were really frustrated by what went down. So Toronto's down by 10 points. There's a minute and 30 left. They engineer a scoring drive, but clearly there wasn't going to be enough time at the end of the game to win it. And so on the last play of the game, Bethel Thompson again takes a, a, another late hit penalty. He was getting he was getting abused all night. Hamilton defenders were taking shots at him late. I know Dylan Wynn. Dylan Wynn's was a little bit different because he just... Dylan Wynn's penalty wouldn't have been called 10 years ago, but it was one of those where he lands with his full weight on Bethel Thompson. And as tough as Bethel Thompson is, he doesn't typically show any reaction to discomfort or pain he's just such a a tough guy and there was one of the few times after that Dylan Wynn hit where he lay there and he looked like like I didn't I thought he might be out of the game and you so rarely see that so you can only imagine how much he was hurting and then he takes another shot at the end of the game there and so here you are with two seconds left you're on the 10 yard line down by 10 points and Coach Dinwiddie sends out the field goal unit to get the field goal. And I know fans went went ballistic at this, but it's the correct move. And let me explain why. And I don't know, maybe they did talk about this on the TV broadcast, but this is a four-game series this year. It's not a three-game series like you sometimes have. In a four-game series, there's a really good likelihood that it's going to split 2-2. And so the tiebreaker in that point is going to come down to differential. And so from the 10-yard line with one play to go, it's a 99% chance that you'll hit that field goal to get three points on the board, whereas you're probably looking at about a 25% chance that you'll get a touchdown, maybe less, that you'll get a touchdown uh, for that seven points, which would obviously be better for the deferential. But I agree with, I think, analytics-wise, and you know, talking to the coaches after the game, they clearly were aware of the numbers, and it didn't seem like a decision Coach Dinwiddie liked, but he couldn't deny that the numbers are were there in terms of statistical probability. The analytics say if if there's one play left, you kick the field goal to make it a seven point difference uh, because that matters more than than the shot and the unlikelihood of you converting a touchdown and then losing by ten. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I, I I have seen that before and. You know, it depends on the scenario and the situation, but in general, if you need ten and you can't get seven, or you're pushed to to third down, yeah, get take take the three. You need ten. I I don't I don't object to that. And the argument people were saying, well, why didn't you just kick the field goal earlier and then try an onside no. kick? Which it, it, the thing is, you're still trying to get a touchdown earlier. Yeah. So it was. It's not until that last play, like it's not until those those two seconds are left, where you're like, well, now there's just one play left. Like up until there's like 20 seconds left in the game, you're trying to score twice. Still, you're still trying to get a touchdown, an onside kick, and then a a huge field goal. But there just wasn't really an option for that. So the field goal is absolutely the right call at the end of the game. And social media was just not the place to be last night after this game for for Argos fans because it just got it got ridiculous again. People again demanding that Chad Kelly be out there instead of Bethel Thompson. There's demands for Coach Dinwiddie to, to be fired, and I I just I guess this is I should be used to this by now. This is what happens after every game apparently, but those were not the problems. Coach Dinwiddie's uh, like he was handcuffed. 
yesterday with what there was on the field. And I know some people pointed out a few odd game management choices like I did, like the punting on, on third and one. I agree. I don't like that move at all. I understand it. I, I don't like it. But, you know, that's a disagreement. That's not like a, a huge error. Uh, and and again, McLeod Bethel Thompson, I thought played as well as you could play, considering nobody was open. This is not is not a game that you can pin on either of those guys. They're not out there missing tackles, and they're not out there uh, injuring their own players so that there are third and fourth string guys out there. Yeah, I, I know. I I I hate sounding like an apologist, uh, and certainly I'm all for you know lighting something on fire if it needs to be lit on fire, but injuries are not like, oh, you just got to move past it, next man up. Like, that's just not true. You have to have your best players on the field to win. And, you know, when Harris went down, it, it you know, unfortunately, the Argos do not have the depth to, to handle that. And, you know, and it changed the game. And then when you have defensive players going down, uh, you know, they got burned by deep passes. You know, you, you had some flaws in the secondary because you don't have your full squad. I think huh, it's tough to give a team a pass, but man, you know, they were really beat up and the thing just kind of, you know, you can lose one guy, you can lose two guys, but you start losing three, four, five guys. You, you, <laughs> it isn't just like put the next guy in, you know, it's like a bridge. You can't, you can't have five, you know, uh, aspects of your bridge be weak. The whole thing's just going to come apart. This is a, a full-length week, thank goodness, because Toronto needs every day they can get for injury recovery. And Calgary comes to town. Calgary is in a in a dogfight, uh, five and two in the West is good enough for third place right now. And you've got Saskatchewan breathing down your neck. Like Calgary's in a scenario where they've got to keep winning just to keep up with, with BC and Winnipeg, just to keep within striking distance. Uh, so it's not the team you want to play. Toronto's still in first place at four and four. They still hold on to that, that first place spot in the East, but this is, it's not a must win, but it's a almost must win game this week. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, when you're in a, a fight, everything is a must-win. Uh, I, th- I think you want to try and avoid losing streaks, so I think it would be great to bounce back. I don't think we're quite at must-win yet because there's certainly not going to be Calgary if we're down this many people. So I don't know if everybody can bounce back and be good to go. It, it'll really depend on the injuries because playing Calgary – you know, short five, six starters is, you know, it's just not a, a realistic scenario. If you haven't got your ticket yet for this week's game, you got to pick it up. So the, the X is on, which makes for a really exciting environment. It also saves you some money. If you want to spend the day at the X, your ticket gets you gets you in the door. And uh, there's there's all sorts of stuff going on. It's, it's going to be a good crowd. And... The Stampeders games are always interesting because the Argos have so many former Stampeders on the team. Now, a lot of them, actually, almost half of them are injured right now, but uh, maybe a couple of these guys come back. Uh, and Coach Dinwiddie's ties to Calgary obviously make this uh, a pretty exciting one, too. So 7 o'clock Saturday night at BMO Field, 
if you haven't bought a ticket yet, make sure you take care of that this week because it's it's going to be a good one. And pretty much every Argos game we've seen this year, with the exception of the BC Lions game, has been an exciting game that has come down to the wire where there's been action in, in all four quarters. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. A matchup against Calgary is, is always good. Well, that will just about do it for us on this episode of the X's and Argos podcast. For JB, this is Ben Grant saying so long and may all your pre-snap reads be good ones. I'll see you.